The first reading this morning is taken from the second book of Kings, chapter 7. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we will live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the camp of the Arameans, and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents were left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we are starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out, and then we'll take them alive and get into the city. One of his officers answered, Make some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all these Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happened. So they selected two chariots with their horses, and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, Go, find out what's happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king, Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a sayer of flour was sold for a shekel, and the two sayers of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. The next reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and follows the account of when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well. John chapter 4, starting at verse 27. 
Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And now verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for George, shall we? Thank you. Father, thank you for George. Thank you for his role around the diocese. Uh, Lord, equip him, empower him, anoint him as he preaches your word to us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. It is uh, good to be back with you. Uh, I came a couple of times, I think, during the vacancy, and so it's great to be back here when uh, you've now got your vicar. Absolutely great. I'm delighted for you. I'm delighted for Peter as well uh, to be here. And uh, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Quite strange readings this morning that I've chosen to go along with the subject of simple steps for sharing faith. And uh, two very different stories, but actually great similarities within them. So that, that first one about the, uh, the lepers uh, is quite an amusing story. Really. I mean, it's a desperate situation. Uh, the, the, the city of Samaria was under siege. It had been sieged uh, for a long time. So dreadful conditions there. Uh, people were literally starving to death because uh, there was no food, uh, water was low. Uh, and, and of course the lepers, uh, they have a rough time anyway because they're treated as outcasts. When, when nobody's got anything to, to eat themselves, they're hardly going to give to beggars, which is what the lepers were. So their plight was even more desperate. So there they are, kind of uh, outside of the city gates because they're not allowed in the city. And... Um, and they're talking to her and they say, well, yeah, what are we going to do? Because if we stay here, we're going to die. Um, if we go over to the Arameans, they'll probably kill us as well. But at least they've got food there. Perhaps, you know, you never know. So they decide to go to the enemy. And uh, overnight, God has done this miracle, uh, making the, the Arameans think that other armies have come. So they've scarpered. So literally the whole enemy camp is completely empty. And, and so for these lepers, it's, it's all their birthdays in one, isn't it? You know, uh, there, there they are, kind of desperate, and, and so they find the tents full of food and drink. So they, they drink, they eat, uh, and then they, they find some of the choice things, and they hide them and bury them uh, so that nobody else can find them. Oh, isn't this great? And then suddenly guilt overtakes them. Everybody in the city is starving to death. They're in a terrible situation. Perhaps we ought to go and tell them. (laughs) 
So off they go. And of course the king didn't believe and sent troops to find out, but then they found out that actually it was true. Um, but it took the lepers to go and tell them. And then, of course, we have the other account of the woman of Samaria. And some of you will know that account very well, uh, that, that Jesus uh, is in Samaria, where, uh, again, um, uh, Samaritans were counted as uh, the enemy by the Jews. Uh, but Jesus encounters this woman by the well uh, and starts chatting to her, uh, which he shouldn't do, actually, because he's a man and she's a woman and the enemy. And he breaks all the rules in talking to this woman. But he ends up offering her living water, uh, which she completely misunderstands. Uh, and, and it's quite a complex dialogue. But in the end, the disciples come back. She goes to the, the, the place, the, 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 the village nearby, where she's an outcast. That's why she was there at midday. Nobody collects water from a well at midday. It's too hot. The only reason she was there, she was hiding from the other women. And of course it came out in the dialogue with Jesus that she'd been married five times and the man she was living with was not her husband. So she wasn't exactly the, the very best person uh, to be sharing good news in that sense. But she does and they all come, they meet Jesus and hear for themselves. Good news on both counts being shared by outcasts, by people who weren't that great in all reality. Now, good news is a key word in the New Testament. There you have it. That's the, if you want a bit of Greek this morning, that's euangelion. Uh, the EU at the beginning is the word good, and angelos is the news. Good news. And uh, so another word for that is gospel. We've got the four gospels, haven't we? The four good newsers. So it's a very, very important word, and, and lots could be said about the actual word itself. But interestingly today, the word euangelion, or evangelism, as we often refer to it today, is actually suddenly okay to talk about in the church. So for many years, if you talk about the word evangelist, Gordon, yes, um, whoa, you know, it puts a lot of people off. Suddenly we've got two archbishops talking about it. Um, the Archbishop of York, he says, evangelize or fossilize. That's his message to the church. Evangelize or fossilize. And then uh, Archbishop Justin, when he came into his post, he had three great priorities. And the third one was evangelism. What? We've got a new diocesan bishop, Michael. And none of us knew kind of what he was going to come up with, yeah? And uh, you always worry when there's a new bishop. You know, jobs like mine, you worry if you'll still have a job. Um, <laughs> and, and of course, we're no longer going for growth. That's the tagline that we had that's gone. So come follow Christ. That's not bad, is it? And then he says, everything that we do as a diocese has got to go through three words, three key words. Discipleship, vocation, and evangelism. What? When I heard that at Bishop's Council, I nearly fell off my chair. <laughs> Suddenly, evangelism is okay. Or is it? Because <laughs> actually, as I go around, I still find lots of anxiety and fear about the word evangelism. 
So the aim of my talk this morning is to take a bit of the mystique out of it, a bit of the fear out of it, and simple steps for sharing faith. I decided not to put the word evangelism in the title, because you might have seen that and not come. (laughs) Simple steps for sharing faith. A couple of years ago now, there was a big piece of research done in the church called Talking Jesus. And it was all about evangelism and and people coming to faith and how they come to faith and what they think of Christians, all sorts of things. Uh, I've got a few spare copies if anybody wants one at the end, but I'll be giving you a a card with the website on as well so you can Google it uh, in in that sense. No, don't Google it. If you Google talking Jesus, you get these little models of Jesus that talk. You know, the plastic type. (laughs) Go to the site that's on the card. (laughs) Yeah? fascinating do you know what this says about people coming to faith what's the biggest influence on people coming to faith clergy of course isn't it it's our brilliant work and sermons that's why you leave evangelism to us in the church army because we're the experts we're, we're the professionals now we're right down here on the list family and friends again and again How do people come to faith? What's the biggest influence on their coming to faith? Family and friends. In other words, it's you, not us. If you leave evangelism and sharing faith to us, we're dead in the water. Yeah? The church will disappear. It's only if we as a whole people of God share our faith that actually anything will happen. Oh, another couple of bits. I mean, there's loads in this that's great. When we do talk to non-Christians about faith, it's evident that one in five want to know more. That's good news, isn't it? And when non-Christians were asked what they, were, what they think about Christians, they actually think we're okay. <laughs> it's really quite encouraging, some of the stuff in this. I do commend it to you. It's great. And, and so that begins to change our thinking. That it's something for all of us. I'll come back to that. Some of you have done about the, um, the, the front line stuff. Um, life on the front line. Fruitfulness on the front line. Uh, these are uh, some courses that a, a group called London Institute for Contemporary Christianity are running. LICC. Much easier to say. And, and they're great. And, and the whole emphasis on that is that as Christians, we all have our front line. We all have places where we engage with those who aren't part of the faith. And, and, and often, not always, they know that we're Christians. And, and, and it's our witness out on our front line that is so, so key and important. And you see, often when we talk about discipleship in the church, we tend to think of it's, it's what we do in church, isn't it, discipleship? There's a big new report come out from the Church of England called Setting God's People Free. Now, a lot of Church of England reports just get on a, a shelf and go dusty. And it's probably just as well, actually. This one's quite interesting. And, and we all thought when it was first done, Setting God's People Free, that it was all about getting people to do more jobs in church because there aren't enough clergy to go around. You know, we're, we're, we're an endangered species, clergy. Yeah, so uh, we need lay people to do more things, and actually, 
it's not about that at all. Well, it is a bit. But it's actually about this frontline stuff. That our Christianity is lived out there. And people see us and hear us. And we're the ones who share the faith. Left, right and centre. So uh, it, it, it talks about this uh, discipleship thing. It does the 10, 110. So in, an, in, in a week, you've got 148 hours. Oh, sorry, 168 hours. Yeah? And, and you sleep for 48 of those on average. Not all at once. <laughs> yeah? Uh, that leaves 120 hours. Now, the average Christian spends about 10 hours in church and church work. That's the average. I know some of you do a lot more than that. Some do a lot less. All sorts of circumstances. Ten hours a week. That leaves 110. The point of church is to equip us for the 110. To be Christians out there, whatever we're doing. Whether that's work, leisure, family, whatever it might be. The whole point of church is not to be an end in itself, but to equip us to be disciples of Jesus out there and to be disciple-making disciples. Helping others to become disciples of Jesus. And, and, and then we've got another great resource that's, that's come online. And uh, it's already been mentioned in the service today. Hope! Uh, and, and all they provide. Did you use that book a couple of years ago when it was the Queen's 90th birthday? The, the Servant Queen and the, and the King She Serves? Brilliant book. How much did it cost? A pound. If you saw that in a shop, you'd expect to pay 7 99 for it. That sort of quality and content. And, and, and this bloke, Roy Crown, that's coming a week on Wednesday to speak... Uh, he is what I call a Christian entrepreneur. He sees opportunities and goes for it. And, and he's got some millionaire Christian friends who will back him when he's got a good scheme. And he comes up with good schemes all the time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hope, produce all sorts of goodies and uh, uh, all sorts of things. And, and what they say is, don't do lots of new things. Use what you already do. I'll come back to that. But, but if you get a chance to go and hear Roy, or come and hear Roy, do. Absolutely fascinating. Um, total activist, total extrovert, lovely man. Christian entrepreneur. Fascinating. And Hope 18 is going to give us some wonderful opportunities as a church for sharing faith which I'll come back to. The problem is, and some of you are already here, when we start to talk in this way about this is the job of all of us, there's a bit of fear, isn't there? A bit of anxiety starts to develop. What's he going to ask us to do? Uh, what's the catch? What's this going to be all about, really? Well, you see, I think there's a few misconceptions about sharing faith and evangelism. I think very often... When we use the word evangelist, we think of Billy Graham. Yeah? And we think, I could never do that. I, I could never preach like Billy Graham preached. Or we think of that person on the street corner with the placard, you know, prepare to meet thy doom, or whatever it is. And we think, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And all sorts of images go through our mind. 
Or we think that we've got to be able to take someone from there where they kind of start talking to us. And the job of the evangelist is in five minutes to take them from there, explain the whole of the gospel message until they're on their knees here saying the sinner's prayer of repentance and are now a fully committed Christian coming to church every week. And we can't do that. And so we back off. Or we think, oh, they're going to ask us some difficult questions. I don't know the answers. It's dead easy. You just say, ask the vicar. <laughs> and then you find out, we don't know the answers either. Actually, it's, it's perfectly okay to say, I haven't got all the answers. I, I, I don't know the theological and philosophical answer to the problem of suffering. But actually, what I do know is that when I went through that time in my life, the fact that I'd got God with me, made all the difference that's the answer our personal story and I'll come back to that in a little while you see I think a lot of evangelism is a bit like the, the Nobel Prize for Economics that's just did you, have you come across the Nobel Prize for Economics do you know what that was book called William Thaler and it's the nudge theory the nudge theory and I think some of the best evangelism is just literally when we nudge the person a little bit closer most people's story of coming to faith is of a whole series of things that happen have you ever seen it when God gets on somebody's case and starts to surround them and different things start to happen you think <laughs> God's after you it's never normally one thing but lots of little things. And evangelism is about being part of the lots of little things that turn someone to Christ bit by bit. Be a nudger for Christ is actually what's needed. And uh, that, that uh, talk in Jesus has five recommendations that I think are absolutely spot on and they're about to come on the screen. There we are. Pray for five people. Now, if, if one in five people, when they're talked to about Jesus, want to know more, why not pray for five and see what happens? And um, uh, if you did, did you do Thy Kingdom Come stuff last year? Yeah, uh, that, that recommended praying for five. Uh, and it was all based on this. And you get the impression that some people are kind of talking to each other about all this stuff, which is most unusual in the Church of England. But we've got a bit of joined up thinking. Pray for five people. But instead of just doing it from Ascension Day to Pentecost, ten days, why not do it a bit more than that? Pray for five. Just think now of five people that you know, your friends, associates, workmates, whatever, family, who at the moment aren't active followers of Jesus Christ. Choose five and pray regularly for them and see what happens. Leave, leave it to God to start to do the work. But then you be ready to have something to say. Because they might just say, you go to church, don't you? What's it all about? Or you're a Christian, aren't you? What's it all about? Something to say. And this is where we freeze, isn't it? This is where we imitate goldfish. 
the most important thing that you have to say is your personal story. How it happened for you. And at this point again, some people say, oh dear, I haven't got one. Or it's not very good, my story. A friend of mine in uh, the, uh, the Stoke area is uh, another church army captain like Gordon there. And another Gordon, Gordon Banks this one. Isn't it great having a Gordon Banks captain in, uh, in Stoke? And he's evangelist so he saves. No, no, I've not got that. <laughs> he has a lovely, lovely way of, of, of sharing this. He says, are you a cradle Christian or a conversion Christian? Now, I'm asking you now. Not to tell me, but just to think, are you a cradle Christian or a conversion Christian? Because he says, if you're a conversion Christian, you're like Ben. Now when Ben tells his story of faith, he's got a before, an encounter with Jesus, and a now. B-E-N. This is all on a little card I'll give you, so you don't have to remember it. But some of you here are Anne's. Always known God in your life. But there was a need at some point to make it personal. And a now. So whether you're a Ben or an Anne, you've got a story of faith. And one of the most important things you can do is have that story ready to tell. But the problem for most of us is we talk too much. Particularly clergy. I know what you were thinking when I said that. (laughs) You've probably got two minutes maximum to tell your story. Because after two minutes, they'll glaze over. In reality, you've probably got 30 seconds. And the only way then to do that is to practice it. So I suggest that at the end of the service, you, you ask each other, are you a cradle Christian or a conversion Christian then? Are you Ben or Anne? And dare, dare to ask each other your stories. Because most of you don't know each other's stories of faith, do you? You've been coming to the same church for ages, but you don't know the story. Do you know, it's one of the most moving things to hear other people's stories. And if we do that for each other, it's so encouraging. But then, if we are asked by someone, we've got our story ready to tell in 30 seconds. (laughs) Yeah? Have a think about that. That can be really, really useful and really helpful. And, and, and you see, in the Bible it says, always be ready to give an answer to anybody who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. And if they know that we're Christians, they'll see a difference. We might not think we're very good Christians, yeah? But they will see a difference. And, and our story can be just very simple about what God has done in us. In fact, Sometimes the simpler the better. I know people have got very dramatic stories about being in prison and God appearing to them in the prison cell. Their life is totally turned around. Great story, but most people listen to that and say, well, I've never been to prison and I've got appear in my prison cell, so it doesn't relate to me. Your boring story, like my boring story, actually probably relates very well to someone else. Be thinking about your story. So, something to say after praying and something to give 
And, and you know, like, like some of the stuff that, uh, that Hope 18 produce, uh, there's all sorts of possibilities. Uh, if you're doing something like Alpha or a, a special event, have, a, have a, an invitation card. Make invitation card, because if we've got something to give, it's so much easier, isn't it? Uh, I was talking to uh, some people from the church yesterday, and they had a mission week uh, in uh, Easter, week before Easter, Holy Week, and they produced some fantastic publicity and cards so that people could invite. Because that's the next point, you see. Invite. Um, and it's not always inviting people to church, sometimes it is, but Alpha, we've just heard about, haven't we? The, uh, the, the uh, what was it? Coffee in the living room, yeah. Inviting people just to ordinary things that are happening. Special services. You know, loads of people come at Christmas and other special services. What an opportunity. Going back to Billy Graham, do you know, he used to say, you know, people don't come to listen to me because I'm a great preacher. They come because somebody has invited them. Somebody has invited them. And you never know what God's going to do. One of my dearest friends was a lovely lady called Marie who died about five years ago now. She came to a carol service and God went, (laughs) in a carol service. Beautiful, eh? You just don't know what God's going to do. But someone had to invite her. Someone invited her to that carol service. Just be an inviter. Again, it's your front line. Your family and friends, the five people you're praying for, be ready for that conversation to arise when it would just be so natural to invite them to something that's happening. And then welcome them. Anybody who knows me, you know I've got a thing about welcome, don't you? I mean really welcome. Not the smile on the door, that is important, but really invite them in. I was talking to someone just this last week and they've been going to a church, a new church for about a year and they said, well it was really welcoming at first but it was a superficial welcome. They won't let her into the church. Do you know what I mean by that? She's not allowed to become part of the church. They're keeping her at a distance. Invite in to your friendship groups to your activities, the different things that happen. Genuine welcome, and that's important. So will you be a person who nudges folks? That's that's what we're uh, suggesting. And just be ready through praying for people, having something to say, something to give, inviting and welcoming, to be part of God's chain, the different links in someone's journey to Christ. Because you know, that's what this evangelism thing is all about. If we were all doing all the little bits like that, God would take all the bits and pieces and join them together for that person's journey to come to faith. And it's only as we all do it that God can work fully. So be a nudger for Christ. But of course for that to happen, it's got to be real for you as well, hasn't it? So I want just as we finish to return to the woman of Samaria. You see, she was talking to Jesus and he offered her 
living water. Water that if she drank of that, she'd never be thirsty again. And, and, and we need to be filled with that living water. One of the abiding pictures that God keeps kind of giving to me is of Jesus sat at a well. And you know, I have to visit that well quite often. Yeah. Because I run dry. And each time Jesus is there and he says, here you are. Here's the living water. So this morning, in this service, let's drink the living water. I'm going to pray in a moment and invite the Holy Spirit to come and give us his living water. But it might happen as you come for communion. It might happen at any point in this service as we worship. But let's be open to receive. Because full of that living water, it then now quite naturally flows out of us into those around us. Because they too need living water. So just as we are, let's just be open to what God would love to do in us. If it helps to to do so, close your eyes and just picture Jesus at that well. And it's not the Samaritan woman that approaches, but it's you. And he offers to you his living water. And you say... Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the living water and you offer us your Holy Spirit this morning. Come, we pray, afresh into our lives and pour your living water into us. Your grace, your love, your forgiveness, your peace. Come. Holy Spirit, renew us and refresh us that we might then be channels of your water to others. Come, Holy Spirit of God. And as we receive, let's be reminded that it's not how good and great we are, but how wonderful the water is. The woman at the well, the lepers, were nobody. In fact, they were outcasts. But the message they had was beautiful. Let's be bearers of that living water to others. Holy Spirit, continue your work in us and through us in this service. And may it all be to the glory of Jesus. Amen.